So, couldn't we do this around seven? But anyway, no, three o'clock. So, I get up at three o'clock and I go in. And I have a verse on my mind that says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was seated on a throne, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood seraphim. And they each had six wings. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he flew. And one said to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of its glory. And I just have thought about that verse so many times over the years. And I said, I want to see what they saw, that the whole earth is full of your glory. Because I'm seeing a lot when I see the news. I see a lot that looks like that's not true. Is that still true? And I want to see it. So I closed my Bible and I sat back. And the Lord said, the key is the first part of the verse. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He said, when you see me in the midst of your situation, whatever it is, if it's politics, if it's your family situation, if it's your finances, if it's your health, whatever it is, if you see the Lord high and lifted up, you will see that the whole earth is full of my glory. At that moment, my phone rang a text. It was my good friend, Kevin Delaney. He texted me to a link to a song. I opened it up and it said, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So I'll keep it short and simple. <laughs> um, I'm honestly just here to say thank you uh, to everybody that has accepted me and my kid into this church. Um, honestly, uh, today I was told to speak just to remind everybody, kind of like what he was just saying um, about seeing God in situations. I've been in a horrible situation that has been 99.9% me. Um, a lot of negativity, like we discussed last time. And um, this week, I don't know if you guys have heard of Stephen Furtick, but I follow him a lot. He has brought me out of a lot. And last night, I was reminded to always do this instead of doing this. Um, in today's world, we are constantly pointing fingers, every single one of us. Um, in fact, 
while he's back there. The man that I currently stay with, the father of my child, that is the journey we are going through. Um, even though we're not together, we no longer point fingers, and we only keep our hands open. Um, it doesn't matter if it's politics, if it's another religion, if it's another gender. <laughs> um, we need to always remember to be keeping our hands like this. I don't know if anybody needs to hear that today. I don't know if anybody's been feeling really frustrated with the way that things are going. Um, you really talked about, you know, um, last sermon about us just understanding what's going on. Um, and it opened my eyes a, a lot um, about the feast and things like that. And I just, I just, I don't know why. I just feel the horrible urge to tell everybody to keep their hands open. Um, that means to your friends, your family, and to your enemies. Um, I think it, I, I really want to focus on literally being kind to the people that are screaming in my face. And I just think everybody needs to hear that. <laughs> and I think it'll help all of us at yeah. the end of the day. And I just thank all of you. All of you have made me feel so welcome this morning. I haven't slept in four days because my child's teething. And this morning I woke up with an excuse. Even though Aaron let me sleep, I said at 7 o'clock this morning, Dad, I'm not going to church. I want to rest today. And then I realized, where do you rest at? You rest in church. <laughs> so I just hope everybody can keep their hands open um, to every single person that you encounter in life. And just remember, we're always resting here. Don't point your fingers anymore. Keep your hands open. It'll make us a lot happier. Amen. Yeah. Good. Amen. Good, Jennifer. That's great. Good. And if you rest too much and fall asleep, I do have firecrackers that all you need. Anybody else? You're hearing something specific from the Lord. Let me explain um, one more time, too, and I'll continue to do this, because as we have people come in and, um, you know, it's easy to have an expectation of normal church, uh, because so many churches have the same kind of a format. You come in and you... You sing and you have your praise to the Lord and announcements and a teaching. But what we do in, when we first come in, it's really not so much about, you know, singing and giving praise in song to the Lord. But as an ecclesia, it's more important that we're listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say. And then saying what we're hearing the Holy Spirit say. When we speak the word of God, whether it's already written, or if we're hearing a scripture or an anointed, a led prayer, or have a particular word, when we're speaking what we're hearing from the Lord, it's just as powerful, it has just as much authority as if he said it himself, because he did, through us. And our nation is in the condition that it's in mainly because of where the body of Christ is. And we've been talking about things like this for actually years. And as an ecclesia, God, Jesus said, I'm building the ecclesia. The purpose is for his people because ecclesia is a governmental word. It's not church. It's not an, uh, just a, uh, a fellowship. It has those types of aspects. But it's a governmental assembly for the main purpose of hearing what God has to say and then saying and doing what he shows us to say and do. That's the main purpose of Ecclesia, 
right there. It's not to come to feel better. It's not just to come to do our weekly routine or religious duty or to hear a good message or to even hear an okay message or whatever. It's really to commune together to hear what the Father is saying. That's why we have that open time in, you know, for the half hour, 40 minutes or whatever with the microphones. That we don't just come up and speak what we want. This is a safe place to practice what we're hearing from the Lord. Is this making sense to you? And every one of us should have at least a prayer. We really should. Especially with what's going on in our nation today. That we're praying together. Because really, you know, as a member of God's family, we hold the highest office in the land. The president, vice president, even illegitimate ones, have no, have much less authority than the people of God. We serve the king of all kings. We serve the God creator of the universe and the planetary system who is over every demon, every devil. has been given all authority. On heaven and in earth. That's the God we serve. And that's the God who wants to speak to us and give us his will. And that we speak his will into the earth. We pray his will into the earth. That's really what we're about here. It's not just, you know, music and singing songs. It's what is God actually saying? That's what we, that's all I really want to hear. I want to hear what is God saying? What is he showing us to do? What is he speaking forth? And the Holy Spirit is showing us things to come in the whole process if we, if we are attuned to the Spirit of God. And that's part of what I'm teaching on or started to two weeks ago. We kind of took a sidetrack last week and talked about healing. How many of you want to talk more about healing today? Anybody? i got to see your hands. You don't care? Okay. Healing? I was setting you up because we're not going to talk about healing this morning. I want to give you, uh, and I mentioned this on Wednesday when we um, observed the National Day of Prayer. There is um, some some great research, current research that's been done um, by a man named Mark Nuttall in conjunction with um, Barna Research. And it's really about the condition of Americans. Where are they? What do, what do they believe? Now, this is this. I'm just going to share one research, one one piece of data here with you. Seventy two percent of Americans. That's all Americans. It's not just Republicans, not just Democrats. It's not Christians. And it's all across the political and religious spectrum. Seventy two percent of Americans support. Traditional moral values. Let that sink in for just a minute. That's not what we're being told. That's not what the media is pushing. That's not what the globalists are pushing. That's not what our government is pushing. 72% of all Americans support traditional moral values. Could there be a quiet revival happening in our midst? 
where God is reaching individual hearts to where we can't see the big show. Oh, there's revival over there or there's revival over there. But happening in the hearts of individuals that maybe not even know the Lord at all. I have been a firm believer. I mentioned I haven't talked about this for some time that the revival we will see won't be like any other revival. I believe that. I believe it won't be about big names. It'll be everyday people and it'll be widespread. I don't know if this is that, but it sure has some hallmarks of possibly. And we can continue to pray for that. From God's perspective, it really is all about us. From our perspective, it's all about him. But let's not forget, from his perspective, it's all about us. If not, he'd have wiped us all out. But he came to die and to sacrifice his life to save every one of us. So from his perspective, it's all about us. But from our perspective, it's all about him. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful marriage? Marriage isn't 50-50. Neither is a relationship with the Lord. It's 100-100. The rights that we enjoy in this nation, the freedoms. How many of you know this? Not just believe it, but you know this. They are not given to us by any man or any government. They're given to us by God. Half of you believe that? How many of you know that for a fact? So I have a question for you. If that's true, and it is, that God gave us our rights, our freedom, and our liberty Don't you think he would empower us to defend them and protect them? He's not going to do it by himself. He's going to do it through those who have partnered with him. And said, I'm going to stand with you and with truth no matter what. That's the contingent he is going to use to save our freedoms that he gave us. I don't know. I'm just assuming that God really cares about the things he gives us. It's just an assumption. And he cares about those freedoms. And liberties, because he gave them to us. But we have to stop thinking God's going to do things by himself. If not me, who? If not now, when? It's not about they. 
they are doing this, they, it's about us. Truth is not a concept. It's not a list of facts. Biblically speaking, truth is a person. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's a person. You know what Jesus said when he was being questioned by Pilate? One of the things he said. Those who are of the truth recognize my voice. That says a lot, doesn't it? Right now. Since truth has become a lie and the lie has become truth in our society. But Jesus said those who are of the truth hear or recognize my voice. And then Pilate said, what's truth? Great question. We have to be people of truth, which means we're not just speaking it, but we're living it. Because the lifestyle of living truth empowers the words that we speak that are truth. Y'all are quiet this morning. Is this a Presbyterian congregation? What's going on here? Rex, I'll, I'd like to have you. He had, said he had a word out of Luke 12 and for just a few minutes, and then I want to jump on. A, thank you. Something else? Absolutely. There's a lot of prophetic words in the nation and uh, speaking about what the Lord is going to do. I believe He's going to shake things to break the systems that are opposing the truth, uh, opposing the freedom that we have in this nation. And so, prophetic words are coming and the Lord says, I don't do anything except I reveal it through my servants, the prophets. So, I have to say, what are you saying, God? And then discern it. And then realize, like, Joe said that the Lord does things sometimes in ways that we don't even understand. We expect them to come a certain way, but they don't come that way. They come in a in a manger, maybe, <laughs> or somewhere, you know, like that. <clears throat> so, with some of the prophetic words like the coming collapse of the dollar, the banking system, the financial things, I got a letter this week from one prophetic guy. He said, we need to stand in faith. Okay, faith. Everything we do must be done in faith because without faith it's sin. So we believe God, we trust God in the midst of, in the midst of the collapse. Okay, so the Lord is shaking to break it, but He's also shaking it for the good. When He breaks the bad, He's going to usher in the good, and the good is the kingdom of God. The good is the kingdom of God in every sphere of. The seven mountains there that we see there. It's, it's bringing forth the kingdom of God. And that's a wonderful thing. So we got to trust God when things don't go the way we think they're going to go. And when things shake, like your money, you know, well, or whatever, you know, uh, see like in uh, the days of King Josiah, who 
did everything right. There was no king before him and no king after him that was like Josiah, right, who was a great king. Nonetheless, the people around him, they failed to pull down the high places. And the Lord said, also, he said, there's one thing that I'm not going to do. I said, I'm not going to forgive this thing that has happened during from Messiah, which is the shedding of innocent blood. Well, guess what? You know what? We've got a lot of innocent blood, 65 million uh, babies, you know, so God is not, you know, just going to turn away from a judgment that's going to come upon and shaking that's going to come upon our land. So this morning, um, I'm trying to think of some different uh, prophetic guys. One guy says that this year, he's a pretty strong prophet. He says the the what is the word, Scott? The gravel? What is it? The gavel of God has come down. It said this year the gavel has come down. The judgment's come down. I'm not going to change like you know the Lord did in that back in those days. He said I'm going to bring it down. So I was this morning. I appreciate Joe letting us have the freedom to speak and to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying each one. Of us. So this morning I was really brought to this uh, right here verse and if you on down. Be dressed in readiness and keep. Your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting, who are waiting for their master, you know. So that when he comes, you might uh, immediately open the door. And then it goes on down, going down a couple more. He said, it is good for those who are dressed in readiness. Blessed are those, you know, is what he's saying here. But in other places it says it's good when he comes. Be sure of this. You know, be good. Be, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be good. So the Son of Man is coming at an hour that we do not expect. These things are co- expect. These things are coming, and I just felt like the Lord was exhorting us to really uh, be wholehearted in every single area, to allow the Lord to, when things happen bad to us, to say, "Okay, what are you doing, God, in my life? How do I respond?" Like the lady said, just with the open hands to. To love those who are screaming in our face. I mean, to pray for those, you know, our government officials that are just really messed up, you know. And pray that God would come and humble them and cause them to bow down and come off their high places. And so, but like Joe said, where does it start? It starts right here with this heart right here. So, God, you you help me when I go through the test to let Jesus shine brightly through me. When I go through the monetary, monetary test, or if I go through a relationship test, if I go through whatever test, you know, uh, do I, I want to learn to love. And that's the whole key, you know, you know, it, it, love is, is where God's taking us into this ultimate purified love. So anyway, I just wanted to share those things. Thanks, Joe. Be dressed in readiness. Hey, Leviticus chapter 23. Let's do this. Leviticus. So we're, we're jumping back a couple weeks. I'll do a little bit of review and then move forward. Leviticus chapter 23. Talking about the feast, specifically the feast. Spring feast, but more specifically, I want to talk about Pentecost. Pentecost is coming up May is it twenty eighth? 
May 28th is Pentecost. What are the four spring feasts? I hear crickets. <laughs> the four spring feasts. Passover. Unleavened bread. First fruits. Fifty days later. Pentecost. Then there, then there are three fall feasts. What are they? These are harder to remember. Trumpets. Day of Atonement. Now there's different names for these. And tabernacles. The first four feasts have been fulfilled. Mostly. And I'm going to talk about that. The three fall feasts have not been fulfilled. When God the Father fulfilled Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, he did it not on the exact day, but the exact hour of the exact day. He fulfilled these. Let's read verse 1, Leviticus 23. The Lord spoke again to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times. First, middle, and last thing to remember. These feasts are the Lord's. They are not Jewish. They're not Israeli. They're not Hebrew. These are the Lord's appointed times. If they're the Lord's appointed times, there are appointed times. We've got to get this out of our head that there are certain just Hebrew things. There are certain Hebrew traditions, just like there are certain Christian or certain uh, American traditions. But there are things God has in the Scripture that are His, that Hebrews happen to observe. He said, Speak to them, say, these are my appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocation. My appointed times are these. And I'm not going to take the time to read all of that, but he begins to list all of the feasts. Now, when we think of the word feast, we think of eating. That's not what that word really means. The word means an assembly. Come and gather in an assembly because there, there are divine appointments with me. We use the term divine appointment slightly different. Sometimes we'll ask God, give us a divine appointment, meaning that help us to run into, bring somebody into our life where we can minister to. God's divine appointments are us meeting with him in a divine appointment. And he has created divine appointments, seven of these in particular that we're talking about. But most specifically, we're going to talk about Pentecost. These are divine appointments. These are holy assemblies, holy convocations. The word literally means dress rehearsal. These are dress rehearsals. God had his people doing a dress rehearsal for the main. You don't do a dress rehearsal forever. There's a main event coming. And that's part of what so many uh, Jews missed the main event. 
Because Passover, when God gave Passover to Moses, it was to commemorate what? Their freedom from slavery. Their God leading them out of Egypt, out of slavery, into freedom, into their own promised land. Then Passover being fulfilled in Christ, that Jesus did what? Through his blood shed on the cross, he delivered us from slavery to sin, curse and the law. Gave us new life, new law. He delivered us. Gave us a, a wonderful inheritance through all that he has accomplished for us. And so many Jews, even though they went through the, the yearly ritual of uh, uh, celebrating and observing these feasts, missed the main, the main uh, appointment. Their day that Jesus arrived and the day that he was slaughtered. Jesus, when Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was being inspected, so was the high priest inspecting the Passover lamb. It was at the exact times, the time he was crucified was the time they slaughtered the, in the temple, they're still doing their religious duties when the king of king, the Messiah is on the cross being slaughtered, missing. And so many today are doing the same thing. They're going through their religious duties, doing their weekly you know, events, missing what God is doing and saying in this hour. Jesus even said that when, they, when, when his disciples saw the temple, hey, look at this wonderful building. So many Christians are still, look at these wonderful buildings. And Jesus said, you know what? It's all coming down. There will be one stone upon another. It's all coming down. Oh, be quiet, Jesus. The Pharisees will hear you. Forty years later, what happened? It all came down. But you know what they were doing in that 40 years? Still slaughtering animals. They were doing the same thing, their same religious duties. When the ultimate lamb was right there, gave his life, changed that whole religious ceremonial system. I'm taking a rabbit trail. Let me come back. Amen. So let me read this verse 1 and 2 a little differently with these different words to identify, define some of the words that are in our Scripture. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, My divine appointments which you shall proclaim... As holy, just a minute. As you shall proclaim holy dress rehearsals, even these are my appointed times. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Comes right after chapter 25. It's easy to find. Matthew 26. Yeah, kind of. Depends on the Bible you read. Jesus changed the way to observe Passover. Y'all got even super quiet on that one. Matthew 26, verse 29. I think. Let's start in verse 26. So Matthew 26, 26. This is 
the Passover meal that Jesus was having with his disciples just prior to his arrest. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. And then he says this in verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. So where are they at? They're in a room. What are they doing? They're celebrating the Passover. At the end of the meal, Jesus takes bread, takes a cup, and he shares it with them. What is he doing? He begins to give a fuller meaning and understanding of the manifestation or the fulfillment of what Passover is. That he's going to be the final sacrificial lamb. And what do we do as Christians from now on? We call it take communion or the Lord's Supper of the cup of juice and a wafer. Where did we get that? Well, some of it came from the Catholic Church. But we got it mainly from what Jesus did of the bread. See, the meal is really a meal. It's not just a wafer and a cup. But notice what Jesus focused it on now. It's not about being uh, the Jews coming out of slavery from Egypt and into the promised land. It's now for all people coming out of slavery to sin, death, and and the grave. And entering into a new promised land. And then what does he say in verse 29? Let me paraphrase it. The complete fulfillment of Passover is when it's all over. And we are in heaven together. And we have crossed crossed past the first death into eternity forever. I'm going to drink it anew with you then. Isn't this beautiful? So Passover is fulfilled, but not fully. It's going to be fully fulfilled when this age is over. Unleavened bread right after Passover is for seven days. That bread is typifies Jesus. When you when you talk, when you see leaven in scripture, leaven represents sin. Unleavened means righteousness and holiness. Because there are times, God said, to make bread with leaven. First fruits, what is first fruits? First fruits is not about giving money. It's not what first fruits is about. First fruits is about Jesus coming up out of the grave as the first one, meaning he's the first, not the only. Meaning that all those who have received him are going to come up out of that grave too. We're going to be second fruits. (laughs) <laughs> 50 days later, Pentecost, or it's also called Feast of Weeks. Now, Pentecost, Feast of Weeks, was a harvest celebration. Does anybody know which particular fruit or grain it was a harvest of? It was wheat. It was a late spring, early summer wheat harvest. 
Now that has significance. Wheat has significance in the Bible, especially as compared to tares. Let's look here in Leviticus 23 again. I already had you move. You don't have to go back there. I'm going to read from verse 16 and 17. Well, I'll just start with 15. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering. There shall be seven complete Sabbaths. That's 49 days plus one. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. A new grain, which is wheat, to the Lord. You shall bring in, verse 17, from your dwelling places, two loaves of bread for the wave offering made of two tenths of an epoch. They shall be a fine flour Baked with leaven this time. Two loaves baked together, or not baked together, baked with yeast or leaven. What is this typifying? Huh? Two loaves with sin. Representation of leaven in your houses, waving them to the Lord. Jews and Gentiles. You see, what we're going to be talking about here in Pentecost, because of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and Scripture refers to this particular thing. God is not wanting Christians to become Hebrew. Or Jewish. And he is not wanting Jews to become Christians. What is he wanting? He's wanting those two loaves to become one new man that is unleavened. Jews and Gentiles becoming Christ-like. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is the release of the power of the Holy Spirit is what Pentecost is all about in its fulfillment. Two loaves, two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, they have sin, becoming one new man in Christ, clothed in Christ-like character, Christ-like authority, and Christ-like power. Now, this has all been reviewed from two weeks ago up to this point. There's been a couple little added things. but One of the things I mentioned two weeks ago in Matthew, and I, we won't take the time, I'm just going to refer to it, but if you're intrigued, you can look it up for yourself. In Matthew chapter 28, this is after the, the resurrection, Jesus is talking with his disciples. Now we know that when first fruits was fulfilled, Jesus came out of the, the grave. He lived on earth for 40 days, not 50, for 40. He was on earth for 40 days. He was visiting with, talking with, eating with his disciples. The Bible tells us what was he talking about? He was talking about the kingdom. His whole message, those 40 days, was about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Okay? So part of that conversation is Matthew 28, where most Christianity say that's the Great Commission. Jesus never called it the Great Commission. Matter of fact, most people say that the Great Commission is the commission of the church, but that's nowhere in Scripture, by the way. You don't find that in Scripture. 
He wasn't talking to the church. In Matthew 28, if you look, they're actually referred to as disciples. They're not even referred to as apostles at that right then. So what is he talking? He's talking to disciples, which means all disciples. And what does he say? The first thing he said is, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, he wants us to go and do what? Go to every nation and make disciples of all nations. The word for authority includes power. But what I want you to understand is they're not the same. You can have authority and have no power. Okay, but the word he used at that time is an authority with power. But you have to notice something. He didn't say we have it. He said, I have it. All authority has been given to me. All authority and all power to Jesus Christ. Okay. Let's jump into Acts chapter one and we'll begin at least. A little introduction into the fulfillment of Pentecost and what happened. But we're going we're gonna to go a little slow and not just jump into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it means. We are going to get there, but we're going to build a little bit of a background because there's some significant things that Jesus talked about and some significant things he said. And the the choice words that he used. Because there has been so much bad teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's been a plethora of great teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm going to ask you to do, regardless of your personal bent, what you've been taught, what you believe, is to set that aside just a little bit. And let's look at what the Scripture actually says. And then no matter what, this is really the only way you grow with the Lord, no matter what, we have always believed, thought, that we're going to decide we are going to believe what the Scripture says, period. Can we do that? Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders. Take that in for a second. The Holy Spirit gave Jesus orders to give to us. They're not suggestions. They're they're not if you agree with it or don't agree with it. For those who have given their life, received Christ, given their life, It's not about I have to. It's about I get to. 
These are orders from the Holy Spirit. To the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his resurrection, his suffering on the cross and resurrection, by many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, notice this word. He commanded. First, in verse 2, we have the word orders by the Holy Spirit. Second, they receive some commands. I like those words. They br- our our, our uh, pride bristles at those words. Americans. We're free. We don't want no commands, given orders. Gathering to them together, verse 4, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait. For what the Father had promised. Those are some pretty hard, heavy words right there. Because you've got to remember the situation they're in. The guy they've been following for three years that is the king was a major threat. So much so they arrested him, beat him severely and put nails through his hands and feet on a cross naked for all to see. Then, three days later, his tomb is empty. Now, to us, that's like, woohoo! To a lot of people, something's going on. Some conspiracy's happening. Where's his body? Who took it? There's a lot going on here with these guys. They're the ones that are following. Am I going to be next? Am I going to jail? Am I going to be beat? Am I going to be crucified? And what does Jesus tell them to do? Don't go anywhere. Stay right here. I don't know about you, but I'd probably be looking for another place to go when it all happened. And what does Jesus tell him to do? Stay here. You have to wait. Wait for what? God gave a promise. And not only that, he had spoken to them about the Holy Spirit. Which he said, you have heard of me. The last part of verse 4. Then he said this, for John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I'm curious if they connected Pentecost at this point. I'm actually curious if they connected all of what was going on with these feasts. 
and how they are being fulfilled to the hour. So what did Jesus tell them? I told you we were going to go slow. He was given orders by the Holy Spirit. He commanded them to wait. Do not leave Jerusalem. What did he command them to wait for? The promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Does anybody remember when John the Baptist referred to the baptism Jesus was going to release, what he called it? He said, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. What does fire represent? Because fire is powerful. There's a purifying aspect of fire. It also represents the presence of God. Our God is a consuming fire, the burning bush. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? This is an interesting question. Because there is scripture, apparently they knew of, that referred to a move of the Holy Spirit was going to happen when the restoration of Israel would happen. But you can tell from their mindset that their restoration to Israel was different than Jesus's. They were looking for a national, at that time, a national restoration of which they would take part in, leadership of. Jesus was talking about something much bigger. So their question is not completely off the wall. Because he just, Jesus just talked about the Holy Spirit was again going to be active. Because also that was going on in this time. They, were, they went quite a few years with not very much prophetic, powerful things until Jesus arrived. It was not happening in that kind of context with power of the Lord. Until Jesus showed up. And now Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And there's Old Testament scripture that talks about that when Israel's restored, the Holy, there's the, a time of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, even Joel, right? Joel prophesied what would happen when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And then what is Jesus' answer? It's not for you to know times and epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. Now this next passage, let me remind you again of Matthew 28, where Jesus said, all authority 
and power has been given to me. When Jesus released the 70 and also the 12 during that three and a half year period of time he was discipling, it says that he gave them authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. But notice what Jesus says here. You, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Are you noticing some difference? All authority has been given to me. Every blood-bought child of God who has received Christ Jesus and been born again is birthed into the family of the king. Which means you now have royal blood. Which means by birth you have been given authority. But Jesus said... John baptized with water, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But what did he say you're going to receive in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You're going to receive power. And let me just say this. You're going to receive the power to function in your authority on the earth. And you see, so many Christians have the authority, but they're lacking the power and they're powerless even though they're a child of the king. Because Jesus said, I want you to wait. You know what else he was saying? I don't want you doing ministry until this happens. Don't try to heal anybody. There are plenty of sick people around. Don't try to cast out a demon. A lot of demon-possessed people around. Don't do any of that. I want you just to wait. Don't try to start a congregation. Don't, don't try to, you know, get on TV and a radio and, you know, ad and drum, raise support for your missionary. I don't want you doing anything but to wait. What else is he saying in this? Because later in the book of Acts, it says he appeared to over 500 people. Over 500 people saw some man that was dead put in a grave with a huge boulder put in front of it, walking around and talking. Has anybody in this room ever seen that happen before? Talk to somebody that came up out of the grave. And how many were left in the upper room? 120. But he appeared to over 500. 120 is a cool number. That's the number of the Israeli parliament too. We'll talk about some of that as we move through this. But what is Jesus saying here? Let's really think about Let's contemplate this. It's easy to read this passage very quickly and get to the main point, the punchline. That's right. You, you're not going to be able to do Matthew 28. Go into all the nations. Make disciples of all men. You're not going to be able to accomplish that without this. 
Not only are you not going to be able to accomplish it, I don't want you to even try. Because he said, they're orders now, they're a command, you wait until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about the word baptism for just a second, because you, you use the word baptism to really anybody, but specifically Christians, typically they will think of water baptism, because that's the baptism we have emphasized. Baptism is water. Water, baptism. We are baptized. Why are we baptized, by the way, in water? Yeah. First of all, we're told to be. Second of all, it is it is a display of what actually taking place inwardly. We are buried with Christ, raised to newness of life. But the word baptism doesn't mean water. Matter of fact, if you just look up that Greek word baptism, water is not associated with the word baptism. The word baptism literally means to be immersed in. There are several types of baptisms in Scripture. The word bapto, which is the the root word of the word baptism, means to be dipped in, covered, immersed. Greeks would use it when they were dyeing a piece of cloth. It would be soaked in the dye. So baptism just means to be immersed in. Personally, that means something much deeper to me than just the word baptism. Because my Christian trained mind thinks of water baptism. So typically when I read baptism, I just read immersed in all the time. We know for certain, even from this passage, there are two baptisms. Jesus said, John baptized in water, but you are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So there's two different, at least two different types of baptisms. So what was Jesus saying? John immersed you in water, but I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. That takes on a little bit different meaning, doesn't it? When you are immersed in something. Now, Jesus said... When he told them to go into all the nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. So typically what we've done in Christian circles, and I did it for years because it's the way I was taught in my understanding, is I would do a water baptism and I would say, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're raised in the newness of life, blah, blah, blah. Several years back, I'm reading that and the Lord just hit me. With a new understanding of that that made completely complete sense to me. But it will tend to, if you've never heard this, make your mind go, huh? He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Baptism means what? Immerse. How do you, and what was he actually talking about? Going and making disciples. What is a disciple? It's a disciplined one. One that, yeah, follower of Jesus. One who learns. One who will mold and shape their lives like their master. It's not one who attends church and reads Bible, you know, verses, you know, throughout the week. It's one who is shaping their life after their master. A disciplined, which is the root word of disciple, a disciplined one in the ways of the Lord. One who follows, learns, and listens and obeys the commands. That's what he's wanting us to make. 
those kinds of people. He's, he's not wanting a lot of people to attend a building on Sundays. That's not his goal. It's to make disciples. Those who are devoted followers. Let me just take a side note right here. because, And, and I'm going ahead of myself just a little bit. But this baptism was so powerful in the, the apostles and the rest of the disciples, that 120, that it radically changed their lives. You got the most outspoken apostle who backed down from truth from a servant girl at night of even knowing Jesus. Who, after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, stands in right in the town that they crucified Jesus, gives one of the most powerful, condemning, Holy Spirit anointed message to people that over 3,000 gave their life to the Lord. That's the radical change that happened. And it started with this, and Rex actually referenced it, that I believe a lot of Christians have never had. And I'm not talking about in the natural what I'm about to say. And that's encounter. An encounter not with the Jesus on the cross but an encounter with the resurrected Christ. I mean a real spiritual an encounter with that resurrected Christ. That's what the born again experience. And that's the beginning of the change in those apostles' lives. Was really having that encounter not with a dead person. Not with his memory. But with the living Lord that was standing there with holes in his hands and holes in his feet and talking to them and eating with them. That encounter began to radically change their life. And empowered them in a way they would never be empowered before. And it culminated with this baptism, this immersing in the Spirit. Because Jesus said, He didn't even say you're going to receive tongues. What He said is, you're going to receive power. And that power is going to empower you to fulfill, to to exercise the authority that I am giving you to do what? Make disciples of all nations. Oh my God. Let's come back. <laughs> Verse 7, it's not for you to know times and epochs which the Father is fixed by His own power or own authority, but you will receive power. And that word, everybody I know knows this. It's the word we get dynamite from. It's dunamis. It's explosive. It's very powerful. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my dead ones. That's what the word witness means. It doesn't mean you're going to be all dressed up and go into a court of law and give a nice little testimony and go home in a limo. The word witness means martyr. Oh, you didn't know you signed up for that. (laughs) 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my martyrs both here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. See you later. Basically, right? See you guys. I told you earlier it's going to be better that I leave. That's what Jesus said. It's better. It's going to be better, guys, when I leave. I mean, that just messes with your mind, right? Especially you just spent three and a half years. You left your job. You left your family. You're traveling with this guy everywhere. You've heard and seen crazy things. And then he says, oh, by the way, it's going to be better when I leave. What? Oh, yeah, it's going to be much better. Because it's not going to just be me in one location. It's going to now be all of you empowered by the Holy Spirit, just like I was. Everywhere. All over the globe. (laughs) I'm going to mention one more thing. Is that right? Did I say one more thing yet? Because if I haven't, I've got two more in the bank that I can. (laughs) Verse 9, after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? I don't know about you. That's just a funny question to me. Because they didn't say, why are you watching Jesus leave? He said, why are you staring into the sky? That just strikes me funny. I don't know why. It's just almost a little bizarre. Like, we're not looking at the sky. We're watching Jesus. Like, And then he said, this Jesus, I love that. Not another Jesus. This one. This same guy, this Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, he's going to come back the same way. That you watched him go. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind. We'll talk about that later. We're continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, And with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle of all of his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language, that field was called Hakeldama. 
that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate, let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. I want you to notice, we're going we're gonna to take some time to come back to this, some of this, but I want to just leave you with this today. It is necessary that of all the men who have accompanied, accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. They prayed and said, you, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots. They drew straws. Pitched cards, whatever. They drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. You ever thought about that? He drew lots. They drew lots. They had a little lottery going on here. No, the drawing of lots was really a really a spiritual way of receiving answers from the Lord. Because you notice that they prayed first. They asked the Lord. And the Lord spoke through the drawing of the lots. But here's the thing I want you to never forget. You never see this again after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Never. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this congregation. I pray, Father God, for them, for their protection, that you would keep them in safety, you would keep them in health, that you would make them prosper in all ways, Father God, that together we have the mind of Christ. Father, I pray that you give them dreams and visions and they wake up with understanding. That, Father, their fellowship with you would go deeper and deeper. They would know your heartbeat. They would know your voice. They would recognize your voice above every other voice. That faith would increase in all aspects. That they would walk in your grace at all times. That we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and doing. And Father, we would have the courage and boldness to walk it out just like our Master Jesus did. With the same authority, boldness, courage, wisdom, love, patience, kindness. Yes, and even strength.
you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessings to each one of you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.